This is Kat, pastor's kid from Huntington Beach, California, and I never listen to I Doubt It with Dalmar. Ugh, I'll pray for you. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Welcome to the show, episode 663 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and the scholarly. Do not forget the scholarly. Brittany Page, everybody. So I wanted to have a conversation with you. I love conversations. About the late night show host amateur hour over on YouTube right now. But I I logged onto your Twitter to see what was going on, and I saw this very public, very vicious, very horrifying attack on me that you tweeted. I and tweeted, I, I tweeted an attack on you. Yes, huh. and I want to address this now. Please, because this please is regale me of my vicious attack. Upon very you. very hateful. You say, "What's an unpopular food opinion you hold?" I'll go first. Macaroni and cheese is way, way overrated. Yeah, I, I fucking stand by that. How dare and you? And if you disagree, you can get the fuck out of here right How now. How <laughs> dare you say that about macaroni and cheese? Listen, here's my beef with macaroni and cheese. Uh-huh. Yes. Tell us. Well, that's what I'm getting ready to uh, do. It's taking a while. No, it's I don't not. understand. I, I, I mean, you obviously so, have a strong opinion. You should have just been able to rattle off the evidence. Sometimes you need a, really a dramatic stalling. build up. We don't need that. We just need you to <laughs> speak. No, what bothers me? Uh, well, one, it's just when you like go to a barbecue joint yeah. and you get the macaroni and cheese. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, most times, it almost always, fuck, it is this congealed glop. Of like one giant macaroni that's like reminiscent of cheese flavor. Mm-hmm. It's not ooey gooey separate uh, kernels of macaroni pasta mm-hmm. interspersed in between like a blanket of cheese. <laughs> it's this horrifying. It's like macaroni and cheese jello mold. Yeah, it's fucking not great. Well, so what you're what you're describing is it's just like when people say they hate Brussels sprouts. It's because they haven't had Brussels sprouts cooked correctly or by someone who knows how to cook them because you're describing, yes, terrible macaroni and cheese. If you have I'm, just I'm, no, a I, slop that's delivered to you right, in a cup, then right. it's not going to be good. Listen, but if you, make it, if you make it the way that you just said you would want it with the delicate little noodles in the sauce, and uh, right? The pl- the thing that you were why describing. Why has it got to be like that? Why do? You, why when you imitate what I just said, when you try to recreate what I just said, because you went to a different place. I watched you you went to a different place as you were describing it and so find that macaroni and yeah, cheese sir, right. because i think it would be fulfilling for you listen the, the, the exercise was in general obviously i'm speaking generally right 
It's what? Oh, you think it's every fucking macaroni and cheese? Nigga, <laughs> fuck off! Every single one! <laughs> Wasn't at all what I said. Yeah, well, anyway. My, now my throat hurts. My unpopular food opinion was that cottage cheese is delicious. A delicious, heavenly treat. And that's because that is true. Okay. There is an exception here. How is that? Do most people think it's gross? Uh, it's not an unpopular opinion. Unless it's going against convention. That's absolutely an unpopular opinion. I don't know that I would say most people think it's disgusting. Most people I've talked to about my love of cottage cheese say it's disgusting. All right, Miss Anecdotal. Good times. Yeah, it's totally anecdotal. Anyway, this is anecdotal. It's a fucking thread about your personal opinions. So... Anyway, uh, but the the qualification here is that the cottage cheese must be full fat cottage cheese, not oh, fat free cottage cheese. I do know this about you. Yeah. One time. Yeah. Brit- this is years ago, maybe seven years ago. Uh-huh. Brittany Page, who often thinks things are spoiled, foods, <laughs> like they're past their due date or and whatever. And why might that be? Why, was that- why is that? Because you're paranoid about shit like that. Why? Where did it come from? I don't fucking... Your mom used to say, oh, no, that never expires. Yeah, it's because I was gaslit my entire childhood (laughs) as a poor kid where expiration dates were meaningless. And, Mom, this has mold on it. It's fine. Scrape it off. (laughs) So says the wolf. It won't hurt you. So, listen. So, Brittany... Yeah. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the audience. Oh, okay. I'm saying this is what happened with you. Got it. We're we're in, in, in the house, and Brittany's taking a big first, like... You really want to get after it when you fucking take your first bite of cottage cheese when you're Brittany Page. Uh. She takes a big old <laughs> spoonful. Sure. And pauses. Mm-hmm. Panic flushes over her face and yeah. she runs to the kitchen mm-hmm. to spew forth from her mouth right. that which she believed to be spoiled cottage cheese. But it was just fat free. It was just fat free. <laughs> we eat good in this household. <laughs> So, okay, I, I I understand it wasn't meant to be an attack on me. I hear you now. I forgive you. Thank you for sharing your unpopular food opinion Ob- with obvious, us. Uh, I mean, obviously, we're joking here. A lot of funny responses in that thread. Yeah, yeah. A lot of like, well, fuck you now. I'm Nothing you say anymore matters because you don't like mac and cheese. Yeah. And it's not that I don't like mac and cheese. It is overrated. Yeah. I'm just saying when you go to like a barbecue place and you, you have a... Just a whole bunch of sides to choose from, and you only get to choose two. You choose the greens. Yeah, the greens and whatever else other than well, mac and cheese. Well, for you, it's greens and coleslaw. Greens and coleslaw. There you go. <laughs> Choice of a champion. Yes. So uh, the interesting thing that has been happening as a result of COVID-19. Are we off the food thing? We are. There's many, <laughs> but one of them is watching TV news personalities do their job from home. Oh, yeah. And you've been seeing this most often with the late night hosts like Jimmy Fallon and uh, Seth Meyers. Jimmy Fallon from home, too. I haven't seen anything from him. Yeah, he's doing it from home. Apparently, I watch so little Jimmy Fallon that the YouTube algorithm just thinks I fucking hate that guy. Well, I'm subscribed to all of them, and so they're all kind of in my feed. So Jimmy Fallon, Seth Meyers, John Oliver, Jimmy Kimmel, anyway, all of them, and it's definitely gotten better, but like the first initial videos yeah. from these late night hosts, <laughs> not good. It was just awkward, and I totally understand it because they're used to having a, a studio, 
uh, the the people writing for them and kind of being able to practice at the table with the studio writers. audience. Right, the audience is a big part of it, but also I think the staff is a crucial part of it too, and being able to like workshop things with people. And I don't, yeah. they're probably still doing that, but it doesn't seem like it at first. Anyway, it seems like this is what they would have been like if they started on YouTube. Yeah. Yes. That's kind of the vibe I get when I, I watch it. I've had this very thought, which is uh, not so fucking easy, is it, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be funny guy in the midst of talking about politics. I have a suggestion, though. Oh, you do. They need to laugh at their jokes a little bit, a little chuckle uh-huh. once in a while. Uh-huh. Well, it goes a long way to kind of let the audience know, hey, this is your cue to laugh, fuckers. Oh, so they should laugh at their own jokes. Oh, well, it's not like they have to get into stitches about it. Mm-hmm. Well, a little chuckle, a little smile. You, you can't play the straight man with, to an audience of no one. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually might be why Jimmy Kimmel has been my favorite one. And I think that he does a little bit of that just because he kind of has a playful nature anyway. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's why it's working so well for him. But yeah, it is kind of tough. Like the first John Oliver episode mm, when he didn't have the brutal. audience. I mean, it's it's just tough, right? Because we're so used to him hitting the punchline and then the audience laughing. And we're like used to that. And so when that's yeah. not happening, it's kind of like, oh, this is different. Well, the first one, <laughs> I think what happened was he played it. He read it just like he was in his audience, in his studio with the audience. Yeah. And it that just, it's not going to fucking work. And then by the next week, they had adjusted on the fly enough to to make it better but still, I thought it was great. I thought it was great the second time. But yeah, it's yeah. Well, it, you like cottage cheese, so what the fuck does that matter? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh, but it's not just the late night hosts who are adjusting to the changes and having to do things in a different way. It's also just news anchors, and I mean, this was before. Yeah, they're all working from home too. Yeah, most of them. And this is before Chris Cuomo actually, he has coronavirus. He tested positive for coronavirus. And he has been in the basement of his family home, Mm -hmm. self-quarantining away from his family, but doing his show like on Skype or whatever. Probably not Skype. Uh, (laughs) No, CNN now has a deal with uh, Cisco, WebEx, it's called. Oh, okay. Although, it's funny that you're, we're in here, uh... They interviewed uh, Bill Gates the other day, mm-hmm. and his was via Skype, because Microsoft owns Skype. Yep. Anyway. Gotta always be promoting. <laughs> right. Uh, He's like, we're not doing that fucking Cisco shit, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a it's a weird thing to be in this space where these typically highly produced, very beautiful looking videos, yeah. and everything is now like a home movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the audio isn't great. And yeah, Chris Cuomo's especially is pretty shitty. It's just it's it's strange because it now people I think are starting to see it's not as easy as it seems. Yeah, it's like watching a Zoom call with a little bit of production value. Yeah, um, but. It's it's definitely been an adjustment, and I think it reminds you, because when you go out in public, things seem off, and then you come home and you watch TV, and you're like, okay, it's everywhere that things seem off. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. yeah ex- that, no, I haven't thought about that yet. That's true. Yeah. That everywhere you go, everything you do, even watching TV, unless it's like pre-filmed, you know, like watching Ozark on, on Netflix, which by the way, go watch o- Ozark on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
it is a little all live shit is a little bit fucking askew. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. That's a great observation. Yeah. Well, they're getting it though. Yeah. They're getting it. I mean, look, look. I make the joke about me having my little YouTube deal here and looking into the camera and having a set behind me. And ultimately it is what they're doing now. Mm-hmm. Right. And there is a learning curve even for my dumb thing. There's mm-hmm. a learning curve even for like highly produced these entertainers, these performers. It's it's not it's just a little different than what they do. Well, that's why when people go back and listen to the initial episodes of this show, they're horrified. <laughs> Well, you learn a lot over the course of 660. We're still learning. Indeed. Still learning. Lifelong learners over here. That is right. Well, I'll speak for yourself. So uh, let's get to some listener communication. We have two calls we want to get to. One is is from um, someone in South Korea that we haven't heard from in a long time, and I'm so glad that she reached out. Hi, Jesse and Brittany. This is Yuri from South Korea. Um, I'm calling in because you guys asked the audience to share how we are doing in the midst of this corona situation. Um, As you probably know, South Korea has gone through the peak uh, of this epidemic in late February and early March. Um, Now it seems like the situation has subsided a great deal. Uh, One of the biggest reasons for that, I think, is the government has done a good job uh, in terms of testing people and isolating infected people quickly and tracing and quarantining their contacts as well. Uh, We haven't locked down entire cities or taken other authoritarian measures. Um, Also, people followed what the government has asked very well. Um, The government is still recommending social distancing, but people are feeling that the worst is over and trying to get back to their normal life, which is good. Um, You know, whenever I watch the news about the current situation in the U.S., I feel really, really frustrated um, because Trump and his administration is failing miserably. Um, One of the most important jobs of the government is protecting the people's life, and he's doing a terrible job. Um, And it is American people who has to suffer from his failing and incompetence. I just uh, feel so angry and um, feel so bad for you guys. Anyway, um, going through this crisis, I think we could clearly see who's more vulnerable in this kind of situation. Um, Immigrant, the disabled, people with mental disease, the elderly living alone, people delivering packages, people with um, no paid sick leaves, and so on. I hope when we're done with this situation, our society will change in a way that um, it protects those people better. Because we know for sure that another epidemic would come sooner or later. Anyway, I hope um, you and all the listeners are doing okay. Stay safe and let's try to remain positive. Okay, take care. Bye. It is always fantastic to hear from any of our international listeners, but certainly from Yuli. She has been uh, a regular contributor 
to the show with, with her opinion and her experience. And in times like this, it is really nice to hear from non-European, non-Western nations. Mm-hmm. And really what she's saying there is pretty fucking true about South Korea and how they handled this. I was just looking at the numbers as she was talking. And as of this very moment, I mean, they haven't completely flattened their curve. But we're looking at right now roughly a quarter of a million people infected with COVID. And South Korea sitting at just a tick over 10,000 with only 174 deaths. There's more deaths in the, in the state of California than there is in the entire country of South Korea. And uh, they have done a great job with their leadership, with their testing, with just everything that we've done wrong, they've done right. Do we have the same like first reported case date as well? We have the exact same that's what first I reported case date. Yeah, that's what yeah, I Yeah, the same day. Mm. And she highlights a, a really interesting thing about how Donald Trump is failing miserably, mm-hmm. which this audience knows he's failing miserably. Right. I think what contributes to it is that he lies about what what a great job he's done. And then, rather than course... Cor- well, he can't course correct, because then it would highlight that he was lying. Right. So it's just full steam ahead mm-hmm. with the terrible fucking policy, with the terrible judgment, with the terrible leadership. Well, and that's why many of the... Um, news stations have not been carrying his daily press briefing. Sometimes they'll cut to it and like let the experts kind of talk and then they'll cut away when he starts talking because it's just, it's an absolute nightmare. I mean, the other day after they were talking about how 100,000 to 200,000 deaths is like their goal. Yeah. 100 to 240. Yeah. It is like their goal. That's their goal. Right. That means that they have succeeded. That's right. That's a success. They're going to be claiming victory if a quarter of a million people die in America. And so that during that press conference, he talked about being number one on Facebook. Right. He took like a detour. I'm number one on Facebook. Have you guys heard? Right. I mean, it's just mortifying how disconnected from the actual lived experiences of people in this country he is and how he continues to be rewarded well, he's by talked many about people his in ratings. He's gone on jags about his ratings for several minutes. Yeah, it's about just a how, nightmare. Oh, these briefings, more people watch these briefings than the than the finale of The Bachelor. I mean, ugh, that's great. Are you fucking kidding me? Well, and there's also new reporting from the LA Times today that, um, according to the reporting, quote, two months before the novel coronavirus likely began its deadly advance in Wuhan, China, the Trump administration ended a 200 million pandemic early warning program aimed at training scientists in China and other countries to detect and respond to such a threat. Yeah. And, I mean, people are reluctant to place blame at the president's feet in situations like this because there are elements to it that are out of their direct control and decisions that get made that aren't necessarily directly authorized by them. But the way that he has cut funding, right, dismantled programs, and then refused to take responsibility for making those decisions, saying, yeah, a lot of people are involved in those decisions. Like, you want to talk to some of the people up here that are with me? They also don't take responsibility at all. No, I don't take responsibility at all. They also participated in that. You know, it's not just me. And it's it's difficult to watch that because as a leader, you expect someone to step up and say, 
I take responsibility. Yeah, the buck and, stops here, like Harry S. Truman had on his desk. And I'm going to do better, and we're going to figure this out. But one of the things I also liked in her message there was that she highlighted the experiences of vulnerable populations right now that are going to be hit hardest by this failure, repeated failure of public policy. Yeah, yeah. And I was listening to an interview on on the media with the guy that you love on Twitter, and I want to call him Judd Legume, but I know that's not how you say his I last name. I don't know how to say his I last think name. it's Legum. Legum or something. I, I actually pay that guy like six bucks a month for his... Uh, popular information newsletter that comes out like every day it's fucking fantastic he does great reporting he was fantastic on on the media and one of the things that he said that really stuck out to me was that american workers take an average of two sick days a year wait wait what wait say it again american workers take an average of two sick days a year So two sick days. yeah i mean so when you're thinking about giving people paid wow. time off sick leave I'm sure that there are certain political operatives that think that people are just going to go, wee, we have all this sick leave. That's what they always act like. When somebody gets unemployment, they think they're just going to go eat Cheetos and play video games for as long as they possibly can, rather than get out there and try to get back to work. They're just getting paid to do nothing. Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Ugh. God damn. So, but like we've talked about many times, we we hope that this is becoming something that people are starting to notice that when we talk about raising the minimum wage or people having a livable wage or people having resources to help them. I mean, when 10 million Americans have filed for unemployment in two weeks, we're starting to see the system really break down yeah. of how are these people going to pay their bills? How are they going to pay their rent? I mean, we're starting to see a very serious yeah. economic emergency that's really not being addressed. And when we're seeing people go in because they have coronavirus and they don't have insurance and they end up with a thirty-five to $38,000 bill, it really just shows Medicare for all is something we need as a country. And Joe Biden up to this point is still like, ah, oh, no, stuck in my ways, y'all. No, that's not the answer. Yes. Yes, it is. And hopefully we come out of this with more people banging the drum about some kind of universal health care for Americans. Anyway, Yuli, thank you very much for the call. We, we always, it is a treat, as they say, to hear from you. So the other thing that has really been talked about, I don't know what your Twitter looks like, but mine is filled with this kind of stuff. And it is People who are suffering and unable to pay either their full rent or um, a, par a part of it. Right, right. And it is a conversation Brittany and I have had several times that I don't think it's as cut and dry as you see, or if you're looking at my Twitter, as some people say. And this is a call from a regular listener who happens to be a landlord. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, it's Andy in Oklahoma. It's been a while. I actually have, I kind of kept myself off from everything for a while. I didn't want to listen to any kind of news or any kind of comment uh, shows or anything just because even listening to the people on my side of things, it just feels like we're sort of screaming into the void. Um, but now with all this COVID-19 stuff, has sort of, you kind of have to, you kind of have to know what's going on. And, and I feel like 
you know, the, well, and I'm also running out of stuff to listen to. So, um, anyway, uh, I wanted to just share because I'm I'm a manager and I hang on, let's pause him there before he before he goes on. Is he saying we're a, we're the last resort? <laughs> Is that what he's saying there? Um, Look, I ran out of good shit to listen to, and now I'm fucking, I'm just, it's the bottom of the barrel, people. He doesn't seem <laughs> joyful about it. Mm-hmm. I own an apartment complex. Uh, my dad and I own it, and I manage it. So we decided, because we found out we were able to order pallets of toilet paper from our suppliers. So I ordered a lot. Um, you know, I didn't, like, order everything they had or anything, but I ordered enough, you know, that we would have a whole bunch. And I put a notice out to everybody at the apartments that if they need toilet paper, they can we'll, we'll bring it to them. They, we can they can just have it, um, you know, with obviously reasonable amounts. We can't bring them a whole pallet, but um, you know, we're just trying to do our part. That's about all we can do because we can't we can't forgive the rent. We'll, we'll you know we're waiving late fees and we're doing what we can, but we won't stay in business if we if we just completely forgive rent. But we're you know we're working with people and we're trying to you know and we may forgive. A month here or there or something we may you know we may have to figure something out there but uh you know if this goes on for several months we can't you know we'll, we'll we have to shut the place down so trying to find a balance is tough but you know uh i i feel like we all gotta kind of just do what little things we can to help and and uh so we ordered a bunch of toilet paper and we're going to continue to do that we're uh, basically just i told them we'll be their free toilet paper supplier for the time being and, and to, for, until this whole thing blows over until we or until we can't get any anymore um so anyway, I just kind of wanted to share my my uh, sort of story, and I'm a little pissed off at the people that are hoarding it all. But uh, anyway, I just thought I'd just chime in for once, uh, you know, for the first time in a long time. So love the show, Brittany's the best part. Bye. Love the show, Brittany's the best part. Bye. Well, and we always appreciate Andy calling in, and I think that this is a good perspective. A lot of people think of landlords as the bad guys yeah right they have all the power they have endless supplies of money and they don't actually need to collect rent it's just something that they like to do to torture people and (laughs) that's not always the case right and i i was i was going to tweet something today about how landlords are concerned about paying their own bills and that they should consider reviewing their budget to ensure they're not spending so much money on avocado toast, right? <laughs> you mean the same arguments that are that are le- levied at at, you know, people on the poorer end of the spectrum yeah. by conservatives and shit. Well, well you're eating all the fancy foods, why don't you budget better? Right. Why and, don't you eat more top ramen? Right. Kind of this argument of is it unfair or is it fair to blame or discuss external circumstances as a factor in why someone is experiencing financial stress. Is that valid or is it not? Because it seems like it's only valid for certain people. Yeah. And when it comes to businesses, right, we're talking about businesses not being able to provide for their workers right now and going out of business and how they need help, right? And we just saw an interview on CNN with uh, a woman who works for a restaurant and they are paying their employees through June, right? And one of the things that she talked about is that they were making a lot of money and they did the right thing when they were making a lot of money and prepared themselves for disaster, right? Now, that's great for them 
not everybody has that opportunity of a large cash flow coming in, right? I'm glad that she's using that as an opportunity to provide for those workers. But it's just this constant tug of war between the little people, right, and the people with the power. And typically people with the power are allowed to blame external circumstances and say, yeah, of course, things are slowing down, right? People aren't frequenting my business. I need help. And then when you look at poor people, you think, well, what is it that you chose to do in this situation that led you here? What personal failing can we look at? Right. Because it's not clearly not just market forces at play. It's something else. It's a it's a moral or ethical failing of yours. Right. Yeah. And so. I appreciate Andy calling in and giving us his perspective as someone who is a landlord. Yeah, I mean, listen, g- g- given a couple rolls of toilet paper, it's it's a nice gesture, but that's really all it is. And I'm, I'm not shitting on Andy, but I, I want it to be clear that people are going to be fucking hurting. And if they if they can't if they cannot pay their rent, I would hope that there would be some sort of relief from eviction. Mm-hmm. Certainly, mm-hmm. Um, because it, 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 and I'm also I listen. I'm sensitive to, and I'm I'm uh, sympathetic to, the plight of someone who owns a building. That without them, those people wouldn't have a place to live, or they'd have to go somewhere else. Or uh, there's, it's a complex issue that isn't as easily explained away as fuck the landlords, just let those people live there for free. That's just that's an infantile way to look at it. Yeah, and listen, I don't want to go all Debbie Downer, but here we go. And I, <laughs> so it's great that they are passing these uh, moratoriums on evictions, right? That's really great that that's happening. The unfortunate reality is if someone isn't able to pay their rent, that bill doesn't go away, right? Yeah. I mean, I heard that Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell are waiving rent for their tenants in the buildings that they own in LA. That's great. But when we talk about uh, someone not being able to pay their rent this month, they're not getting a waiver. It doesn't go away. It's added to the next month. So let's say this person can't pay two grand, right? April 1st, they weren't able to pay two grand. Well, next month that becomes four grand. Yeah, it becomes untenable. Right. And then that's six grand. Because if they didn't have it now, they're not going to have four grand next month. And then they're not going to have six grand magically the next month. Right. And then it's just adding up, adding up, adding up. And this person's in a hole. So great. They can't be kicked out of their house. But now they're in a financial hole that's going to be yeah. very difficult to dig themselves out of. That's why the federal government needs to get off its fucking dick and do something and not have these checks that are nebulously out there that someday you'll see the money. And it's only going to be $1,200 one time. And it's only an advance on your tax returns. Get the fuck out of here. We need an actual systemic change in the way we deal with things when something like this happens. They're, they're willing to, to open up the floodgates of the Federal Reserve trillions of dollars for for large and small business but actual americans with actual lives fuck you twelve hundred dollars it's not equitable and i'm ranting now at the end of andy's call but which has nothing to do with him well i do think they're being good and it, it is a tough situation to be in don't let my snarky toilet paper comment uh, make you listen to the show even less, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, these $1,200 payments, this isn't like a, a seamless thing where these are going to show up in a week. I mean, it's they're rolling out the electric payments 
as soon as late next week. Mm-hmm. And then there's going to be 30 million in paper checks for millions of other Americans that won't start being sent out until April 24th. Yeah. A lot of this is dependent upon your method for filing taxes, right? And if if you have your funds deposited electronically, then that can make it a little bit faster. Apparently, they're opening up some kind of a web portal that where you can go and actually put your information in. But who fucking knows how seamless that rollout's going to be? I mean, if it goes like anything else in the Trump administration, it's going to be a complete clusterfuck. So, yeah. And we also want to say, if you haven't filed your taxes for 2018 or 2019, go do it. Go do just the most recent year, just like the, the basic information, do the bare minimum, and get it get it through, because you won't be able to receive this payment unless you have filed. Yeah. 2018 or 2019 and they're saying to just go ahead and do the most recent year so that you can get your payment yeah 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 well thanks you guys we appreciate the calls very much and uh, i think it's time to turn the corner and start talking about the actual politics of all of this uh times are tough people Democracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So I want to start this today talking a little bit about Donald Trump and his followers, his, his most fervent supporters, and that is uh, obviously evangelical Christians, white evangelical Christians of every economic class. And I'm going to play a report from. Uh, oh, I'm going to play the pew. Pew, pew. Pew, pew. Oh. pew yeah, look at that. Pew. Oh, pew, pew, I like pew. the little surprise. Oh. Uh, shocked myself. I get to do that. So I'm going to play a report from PBS talking about Pew Research. And it is really some remarkable data that they're talking about here. White evangelicals in the United States have consistently been among President Trump's strongest supporters. Now a new survey shows how sharply their view of the president differs from the opinions of other Americans. Here's NPR's Tom Jelton. The new survey from the Pew Research Center was carried out just last month. Some findings reflect those from earlier surveys. Three-quarters of white evangelicals approve of Trump or agree with his positions. But this survey digs deeper, asking people, both evangelicals and U.S. adults as a whole, whether they see Trump as morally upstanding or honest. Greg Smith directs religion research at Pew. Six in ten white evangelical Protestants say the term morally upstanding describes Donald Trump at least fairly well. That's double the rate that we see among the population as a whole. Seven in ten say the term honest describes Donald Trump at least fairly well. That's twice as high as what we see among the public as a whole. The evangelical view of Trump stands out not just by its divergence from the general view, but by its apparent disconnect from normal standards. Almost two-thirds of white evangelicals see Trump as at least somewhat religious, despite his profanity, his sporadic church attendance, and his evident unfamiliarity with the Bible. One key to the evangelical devotion to Trump, they see him as being on their side. More than 90% say they want their president to stand up not just for religious beliefs in general, but for their religious beliefs in particular. The findings show support for a kind of Judeo-Christian nationalism among white evangelicals, 
Again, Pew researcher Greg Smith. Nine in ten white evangelical Protestants say they want the Bible to have at least some influence or a great deal of influence on the laws of the United States. And many of them, two-thirds of white evangelical Protestants, go a step further, and they say that if and when the Bible conflicts with the will of the American people, the Bible should have more influence Uh, on the laws of the land. From the evangelical point of view, the Trump presidency has been good news. Almost two out of three evangelicals now see their side as winning politically. Four years ago, only about one out of four said that. Tom Jelton, NPR News. I think that right there is the key, that 63% of white evangelical Protestants believe their side has been winning politically. Yeah, under the Trump presidency. Because that is what it's about. That's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, they approve of him because they see him as being on their side and advancing their values. And that's what it comes down to. It really does Which make is me... strange, <laughs> given everything they talked about. The two Corinthians and yeah, yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He can't name his favorite book of the Bible. They're both They're great. Both, oh, <laughs> and even like, well, how about which testament? Oh, no. Testaments are great. They're the best. You can't choose. The you greatest. can't rank them. They're the greatest. Yeah. But how are how are how are how from a from a convincing the American people that their thought pattern and their way of life and their their existence is the right way? Six and ten find him morally upstanding. Seven and ten find him honest. These are the people that, that, that they want us to believe them to be the the arbiters of what is morally upstanding and what is honest, and they think he represents those those ideals? Right. Get the fuck out of here. Are you kidding me? Well, and I mean, we flat out can't trust that guide because there's motivated reasoning on their part. They they simply want to see someone that's going to enact policies that will make them a stronger coalition. I mean, that's that's it. Uh, Let me also rant about this a little bit. That nine in ten of them want the Bible to inf- to have influence over policy. Which scriptures, evangelicals? Is it taking care of the poor and the stranger among you? Is is that what 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 you'd like? Giving aid and comfort to refugees. Is are those the scriptures that you want to hear? The ones, the words that actually Jesus spoke, or is it justifications for slavery? And when and how hard to beat your slaves? Are those the scriptures that you'd want to guide United States policy? Or perhaps the scriptures that when a woman is brutally raped, that her attacker has to pay the woman's father, and then the woman has to marry the attacker? Are, are, are those the scriptures, evangelicals, that you'd like U.S. policy to be based upon, you fucking cowardice, hypocrites. Ugh, fucking gross. It is just gross because there's so much in the Bible that is fantastic, but there is so much that is troubling. And whose interpretation are we going to be using to base U.S. policy on? That's the reason we have separation of church and state. Because there's thousands of different uh, denominations. Because there's thousands of different ways to look at individual scriptures. Well, and when there is a discrepancy between the 
Bible and the law. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about we like seek out expertise or <laughs> right look for another explanation? I mean, it shouldn't just be a default of let's go back to what the Bible says. I mean, let's let's seek out other information. Even right? even flat earthers use the Bible to justify what they believe. <laughs> yeah. Get yeah. the fuck out of here. Well, I I want to talk about another pew that I came pew, across. Pew, what? Pew, pew, because pew, pew, pew. we know how, depending on which news source you follow, your views on things differ. I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a big Fox News guy myself. Well, if that's true... <laughs> Then I would assume you would be a part of the 56% of U.S. adults who say that the news media has greatly exaggerated the risks about the coronavirus wow. as a Fox News viewer. Would that be where you fall? <laughs> that, that is not where I fall. Would you be in the 23% of Fox News viewers uh, of U.S. adults that say that the news media have slightly exaggerated the risks about I the would, coronavirus? I would not be in that particular camp either okay all right well let's compare it okay so like i just said 56 percent among those who uh, turn to fox news as their main source for political and election news okay 56 percent say that the media has exaggerated greatly the risks of coronavirus wow 25 percent of those cnn viewers would say the same and 12 percent of msnbc viewers would say the same that's a pretty remarkable even even from msnbc i think that's a 12 percent seems high yeah but think about 56 percent to 25 percent to 12 percent yeah 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 come on now what the difference here are so profound what exaggeration it only seems like exaggeration if you're one of those people who believe that donald trump is ethically and morally upstanding and then you juxtapose what he's saying, that it's a hoax, that it's just a flu, against what actual they're reporting, what scientists say, it would make the media seem extremist or alarmist. Well, it isn't just their perception of, is the media exaggerating? It's also like factual information that they have knowledge about. So take, for example, the vaccine. They also polled the U.S. adults in this survey and asked them, if they knew that a vaccine will be available in a year or more, right? If they were aware of that having been said. And they were not aware. MSNBC, for those that choose MSNBC as their main source, 78%. Oh, they did. Know. We're aware of that. Huh. CNN, 57% were aware of that. Fox News, 51 So going down, right, yeah, with yeah, Fox yeah. News at the bottom there. Also, the virus came about naturally. <laughs> um. Would you like to guess how many Fox News viewers um, answered that the virus came about naturally? Very low percentage. 37%. Yeah. Yeah. Compared, it's higher than I thought it would be. Compared to MSNBC's 66%. Hmm. So it's not just how different viewers perceive the news media, because we know how Fox News treats the media, right? They are the number one media organization, yeah, right. but they talk about the media as being very negative. Right, right, right. And their viewers have kind of adopted those views of yeah. the media is out to get everyone. They're out to brainwash everyone. Us against them. Us against them. Right. But then also that same media is preventing their viewers from having access to 
accurate information, Ugh. right? Or at least obscuring the difference between opinion yeah. and news so people grow confused. So we like to talk about the differences on this issue specifically because we know a lot of the listeners have loved ones who watch a lot of Fox News and it can be difficult trying to speak to someone when it feels like they're coming from an entirely different worldview. And this is another aspect of that where you have to be aware that different information really is being delivered on different news programs and that's a scary thought well it's it's i mean i think fox probably the information goes out but it's just in drips and drabs and then the main focus is the sensationalism the attacks on donald trump and they're focusing all the shit that doesn't matter and not giving full coverage to the stuff that does Right. And even while calling Sean Hannity calling it a hoax in the beginning and now not saying that and acting like he never said that and he's always taken it seriously. Outright denying that we've on this program, we have never called it a hoax. But there's tape. You you called it a hoax. And really, he's following Donald Trump's lead, who's doing the same thing, where in the beginning, Donald Trump said, well, there's 15 people. Pretty soon it will disappear. It'll be zero. And no. Every day I'm putting out a video. That highlights that particular quote with the number of that particular day of how many infections in the United States. Right. But now when he's challenged by reporters in the press briefing, he will say, no, I've always taken this seriously. I knew it was a pandemic before they even announced it was a pandemic. Right. I have always taken it seriously when no, dude, that's not true. It's just exhausting. No, I don't take responsibility at all. Fucking terrible. So, uh. Let's talk a little bit about Donald Trump then. The other day, well, they've been having daily press briefings. And instead of Mike Pence, who is technically the the head of the coronavirus response, it's Donald Trump hour. It's the new way for Donald Trump to have a rally every fucking day. Yeah. Going out there acting like a goddamn idiot. I don't remember if this was reporting from the New York Times or if I heard this on, on the media, but... Donald Trump was unhappy with Mike Pence having the lead on this issue because he felt as though he was coming out and looking very presidential and that this was a role that he should be taking. Right, right? because it is all about him. It's what his ratings, what he's bringing to this. It's it's not what he can do for the American people to actually curb and lessen people's suffering and misery and angst and anxiety. Right. It's it's, about uh, him. it's Mike Pence looks like the president, not me. Ooh, I need to do the daily press briefing. Yeah, for sure. So, but there's the one thing that we want to talk about, and it's his his attack on Yamiche Alcindor from PBS. Who is fantastic. Who is f- fucking top-notch. Yeah. Unbelievable reporter. Mm-hmm. F- unflappable. Yes. Facing down the president of the United States while you're a black woman and he's calling your question racist and shit. He's done that. I mean, he's it's fucking terrible the way he treats her. But in this, she's asking a question based on quotes that he spoke not a week earlier, not even a week earlier on Hannity's show. And he's calling her threatening. You're being threatening. You've said repeatedly that you think that some of the equipment that governors are requesting, they don't actually need. You said New York might need, I, not, I might not need 30,000. You said it on Sean Hannity's Fox News. You said that you might. Why don't you people act? Let me ask you. You said some states. Why don't you act in a little more positive? It's always trying to get you. My question to you Get you, get you. 
And you know what? That's why nobody trusts the media anymore. My That's question why to you is, how is that going to impact? Excuse me, you didn't hear me. That's why you used to work for The Times, and now you work for somebody else. Look, let me tell you something. Be nice. Don't Mr. Be President, threatening. my question Don't is... Don't be threatening. Be nice. Go my ahead. My question is, how is that going to impact how you fill these orders for ventilators or for masks? Your views that they're, they're not, you're not going to, it's not going to impact you at all. We're producing tremendous numbers of ventilators. We're doing a great job on it. Mike Pence, our vice president, has headed up the task force, which has been incredible, the job they've done. We have everybody in the White House working on it. We have everybody in the country is working on this in one way or the other. The fact is, we've done a great job of delivering. You've seen the biggest people in the business. I mean, there's nobody even close to this group of people. We had a meeting at 3 o'clock. It lasted for a long time. It was a great meeting with the generals and with everybody else. And they have done a fantastic job. I'm just saying this. If they're holding... Let me give you one example. We sent thousands of generators to New York. They were put into a warehouse, a New York warehouse that happened to be located, interestingly, in Edison, New Jersey. They were given to New York, and we then went to other places, also giving thousands of ventilators. The people in New York never distributed the generators. We said, why didn't you distribute them? Now, you have to understand, they have New York people working in those warehouses. They knew they had them. So we said, why didn't you distribute them? I'm just, I hope they've distributed them now, but maybe they didn't need them so badly. But just so you know, we're all, you, me, everybody, we're all on the same team. You know, when, when journalists get up, and you're a journalist, a fine journalist, when journalists get up Sean Hannity. and ask questions that are so threatening. I was quoting you directly from team. your interview with Sean Hannity. Take a look at my interview. What I want to do is if there is something wrong, we have to get to the bottom of it. When I hear face masks go from 10,000 to 300,000 and they constantly need more, and the biggest man in the business is, like, shocked. He knows all about the virus, by the way. He's not surprised by that. He knows all about it. He shouldn't be surprised. He should say, well, that's standard, because this is really a very tough disease. This is really a very tough virus to handle. Okay, Mr. please, President, go ahead. My second Mr. President, my second go ahead. question, my that's, second that's question enough. is... Thank you very much. Mr. Please, please. That's enough. That's enough. That's not fair to your other reporters. It's not fair. You had a long time, a long question. It's, if we have time, I'll get back to you for your second question. Is that okay? All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. And someone gets up and takes the microphone from her, and he looks like he is stepped out of a 90s music video. He's, like, wearing sunglasses. And... I thought he looked like he stepped out of, a, like, a 1980s porn film. That is probably a better description. Yeah. yeah. It, I, I was wondering, who is that man? Yeah. Get him away from her. <laughs> that guy is clearly greasy as fuck. Why What's is he, he doing? getting near her? Don't allow him to touch her. Uh, but this was so maddening to listen to. And what is particularly maddening about it is how... He talks to her that way, yeah. telling her to be nice, <laughs> which is so demeaning. How dare you threaten me right. with the exact words that I spoke only a few nights ago? Right. And we'll get to that. But I want to say she continued to just say, my question, President, Mr. President, yeah. my question is, my question, all she wanted to do was ask her question. And yeah. she's trying to just fight through his insane attempts to not let her speak. His quagmire of fucking nonsense. And she finally gets there. But like you were saying, she really was just using his words. So we've already delivered millions and millions of masks. But remember, we're really a second line of attack. 
The first line of attack is supposed to be the hospitals and the local government and the states, the states themselves. I mean, we have people like Governor Inslee. He should be doing more. He shouldn't be relying on the federal government. Governor Inslee, that's the state of Washington. He uh, was a failed presidential candidate. And, you know, he's, he's always complaining. And your governor of Michigan, I mean, she's not stepping up. I don't know if she knows what's going on, but... All she does is sit there and blame the federal government. She doesn't get it done, and we send her a lot. Now she wants a declaration of emergency, and, uh, you know, we'll have to make a decision on that. But Michigan is a very important state. I love the people of Michigan, what they do. I'm the one, you know, I'm bringing back many, many car factories into Michigan. And she is a new governor, and it's not been pleasant. And, uh, you know, you look around and you see what's going on. And by the way, most governors have been fantastic, I have to tell you. Most of them, whether it's Democrat or Republican. But we've had a trouble. We've really had some trouble with the state of Washington. The governor, he's a, uh, and he ran for president, didn't exactly do well. He got zero. And we've had a big problem with uh, the young, a woman governor from, you know who I'm talking about, from Michigan. So... We can't, uh, you know, we we don't like to see the complaints. And I am getting along with Governor Cuomo. I I think that uh, a lot of things are being said that are more. I don't think that certain things will materialize. And, you know, a lot of a lot of equipment's being asked for that I don't think they'll need. A lot of equipment's being asked for that I don't think they'll need. I'm going to get to that quote. We're going to I'm going to isolate that. We're going to play that again. But one. (laughs) What's Sean Hannity doing there? Is he fucking eating Tic Tacs? What's happening? It doesn't seem like he was at all paying attention. There was no, you know, when you hear, mm-hmm, yeah, like acknowledgments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't doing any of that. He's just flipping through pages. Well, on the screen, I've seen the video. I played this video on a YouTube video, but it, it is, it's where they have just the whole screen up with President Donald Trump on the phone. So no one's on screen. So Hannity can, you know, be like filling, stuffing Tic Tacs down his gullet and making all kinds of noise. Yeah. Well, I also want to say, because he never used her name, and I guess he doesn't know her name. It's Gretchen Whitmer. Gretchen Whitmer, who is a bang up governor. Well, and she is now using Donald Trump's language on a T-shirt that she's wearing in her appearances now, where it says that woman from Michigan on yeah. the T-shirt. Yeah, that's awesome. Because he, you just you just heard him talk for a very long time. He talked about Governor Inslee, right? right. And he can't even use her name. Right. He knows her name. He, he, this is the fucking enraging thing that every American should care about. Hundreds of thousands A quarter of a million Americans have this virus. They're projecting that they'll have done a good job if 240,000 Americans die from this virus. That's what we're facing down right now. And he's making fun of Jay Inslee for not getting any any delegates in the presidential race. Right. That's what he's focused on, is being a fucking cock. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, come on, man. That's uh that's one way to put it. And it The views and opinions expressed by Jesse Dollarmore are solely those of Jesse Dollarmore and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page, who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Yes, they <laughs> thank you. Um I just guessed maybe. I mean, 
whatever. He is getting a lot of practice in being a cock. That's he for sure. He really is. But so. now that we've played the disclaimer, I can say whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> it it it's it's pretty remarkable, and we've watched Donald Trump say the, co- at, the cockness at, at the press briefing <laughs> when he's up there talking about just his feelings about things. Yeah, right? I got a gut feeling. I'm a smart guy. He yeah, said, yeah, and it's that's not how any of this works. That's it's just not how any uh, of this works. I wish I had that clip. So it's. <laughs> it's, well, let's 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 go back to the thing he denied multiple times to Yamish. This 18 second clip. We can't, uh, you know, we we don't like to see the complaints. And I am getting along with Governor Cuomo. I I think that uh, a lot of things are being said that are more. I don't think that certain things will materialize. And you know, a lot of a lot of equipment's being asked for that I don't think they'll need. So he's he's making a charge there, leveling a charge against Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, that they're asking for all of these ventilators that they don't they're not going to need. They don't need them. We sent ventilators and there's they haven't even distributed them yet. Mm-hmm. What Donald Trump doesn't understand is that they want the, the the ventilators in their hands so within hours they can be in the hospitals. That it's not like, "Oh, why why aren't they oh, the, aren't those ventilators being used at this very moment?" He doesn't understand preparation for what is absolutely to come when deaths are peaking in the United States at 2,600 people by the projections will be dying every single day in America when this thing is at its worst. Donald Trump has no understanding of that. Well, the, 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 the tally of press conferences moves on. Today, we had another one. Jared Kushner was there. Jared fucking Kushner. And everyone's been wondering, what does Jared Kushner think about all this? He's like a he's like Beaker from the Muppets. <laughs> Is that what the sound that guy makes? I didn't watch the Muppets. He's like a cylindrical guy with like red freaked out hair. Yeah, I think I know who you're talking about. But that's like the Jared Kushner's the human version of that. Uh-huh. I don't know. I just it's in my head. It was in my head today too. Yeah. I'm sure that it's really resonating with listeners and not me. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So, so anyway, I want to play this. There's a couple clips from him because it just, this is the person who gets to stand at the White House podium speaking to America, this fucking moron who get, gets up there and tries to convince us that Donald Trump, first of all, this is the first clip, is that Donald Trump, listen, when he put me in charge, everybody, rest assured that president of the united states donald john trump the man that you've witnessed for four years being a fucking classless idiot he he's all about the data he really wants to have a data-driven response to this pandemic uh what the president asked is that all of the recommendations that we make be based on data he wanted us to be very rigorous to make sure that we were studying the data collecting data a lot of things in this country were happening very quickly and we wanted to make sure that we were trying to keep updating our models and making sure that we were making informed decisions and informed recommendations to him based on the data that we were able to collect and put together. Uh, the president wanted to make sure that we had the best people doing the best jobs and making sure that we had the right people focused on all the things that needed to happen to make sure that we can deliver in these unusual times for the American people. The president also instructed me to make sure that I break down every barrier needed 
to make sure that the teams can succeed. This is a, an effort where the government is doing things that the government doesn't normally do, where we're stretching, where we're, we're acting very quickly. And uh, the president wants to make sure that the White House is fully behind the different people running the different lines of effort to make sure that we get everything done in a speed that the president demands. Yeah, I mean, one thing that really strikes me as true about Donald Trump. <laughs> oh, here it comes, everybody. He really cares about data. Yeah. And all of his decision making is funneled through that lens, right? Evidence-based reasoning is what Donald Trump is all about. He is a practitioner of science and science education. I mean, we talked about <laughs> being lifelong learners earlier on the show. Uh, boy, we have nothing on the lifelong learner. I've learned learner. everything I know about <laughs> relying upon science and yeah, data. Yeah, yeah. From Donald, from Donald, um, we're going to jail women who get abortions. Trump. I mean, what was his campaign slogan? Research first. I. That's <laughs> that's, right. that's what he uh, no, lives I, by. Well, I think that was the, an initial version, but I think they landed on let's let data be our guy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Who does Jared think he's fooling with that? Well, listen to this next one, which is only like 25 seconds, but it is him explaining. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's. Let's just play it and and be enraged together. I I, I don't even know how to fucking. I don't even know how to summarize the the absolute abject moronic fucking understanding of our system of government here with states and a federal government and you have instances where in cities they're running out but the state still has a stockpile and the notion of the federal stockpile was it's supposed to be our stockpile it's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they then use so we're encouraging the states to make sure that they're assessing the needs they're getting the data from their local uh, s- local uh, situations and then trying to fill it with the supplies that we've given them. The same thing with the masks. So the N9... Listen, us and them. This is There's no more us than them than this. Federal... No. Well, the state should have their own stockpile. This federal stockpile is our stockpile. Who the fuck is our guy? What our stockpile? Yeah. There's a federal stockpile in emergency situations so you can disseminate to whichever states are in a state of emergency, you fucking cartoon character. Play it again and see if everybody else is as pissed off as me about it. And you have instances where in cities they're running out, but the state still has a stockpile. And the notion of the federal stockpile was it's supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be state stockpiles that they then use. So we're encouraging the states to make sure that they're assessing the needs. They're getting the data from their local uh, local uh, situations and then oh, trying yeah. to fill it with the supplies. That's that the other them. thing. The same thing with the masks. So the N9. <laughs> they're getting the data from their local situations. Not their local governments. There are no local municipalities. It's their local uh, situations. Yeah. This is the person that Donald Trump put in charge of peace in the Middle East, folks. Are you are you are you feeling overwhelmed with confidence? You know what it tells me? It has to be stressful for Fauci. There's a lot of rich people who are dumber than a bag of fucking dumb. Who go through life thinking they're smarter than other people. I mean, really, this is Dunning-Kruger. This guy really thinks he's a 
He's a fucking wonderkin. Well, I mean, this exists everywhere, and it, it is maddening where people talk about things that they don't know a lot about, you know? And yeah. it it is. It's tough because in the world, you really don't know a lot. I mean, if if we're all honest with ourselves, we don't know a lot. And the more you know, the more th- the the more that you know, you don't know. But it also takes a lot of effort to be knowledgeable. I mean, it needs to be like a constant, ongoing thing, like we were talking about lifelong learning. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a lot of effort, and life is hard. And there's like Tiger King on the Netflix that people want to watch. Not me. I haven't watched it. Will not click on it. But I'm just saying that's a thing that's a concern for yeah, people. Yeah, I don't have any interest in that fucking show either. And we have other things to do, right? And so... Yeah, Ozark. Yeah, Ozark. <laughs> so... But people need to kind of protect themselves so that they don't feel stupid and they don't feel bad about themselves for not knowing things. So they act like they do know a yeah, lot of things. you know things. what? Just be a rich guy. Just be a filthy fucking rich slumlord. Well, no, just know about real estate. And that's what you know about. And you don't also know about international relations. You don't also <laughs> right, know right, right. about the economy. You don't also know about all these different areas, very complicated goings on in the government. Or data. Yes. <laughs> Which he said a million times in that first clip. Yeah. Yes. Or the local situation. Right, right. Fucking moron. Anyway, so this is not unique to only President Trump. And I said that with disgust in my eyes. There are also individual governors who are acting like fucking mooks as well. And we're going to start. With Ainsley Earhart. What about the majority? Because I'm tired of protecting the minority. Talking to the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. And in this specific clip, they're discussing a cruise ship that might be heading to Florida with COVID-infected passengers. And listen to this genius and sensitive individual, Ron DeSantis, the one who said that He didn't want his black opponent monkeying up the state, if you'll remember. Listen to his sensitive take on these passengers that are suffering and fearing because there's infections on the ship. This cruise ship. There's this cruise ship that that cut through the Panama Canal and is supposed to land there in Fort Lauderdale. Is that going to happen? Because I know a lot of Floridians are really worried about that because there are a lot of people that are infected on the on the cruise ship. And not only that, I mean, I think a lot of these are foreigners. And so we've done a really good job of working to clear hospital space. So I think we have almost 33% of the beds in Florida are available right now, particularly in South Florida. We've set up field hospitals just in case you had a surge. We cannot afford to have people who aren't even Floridians dumped into South Florida using up that valuable, those valuable resources. And so I'm in contact with the White House on this. I'm in contact with the local county officials in both Broward and Miami-Dade. But yes, we view this as a big, big problem, and we do not want to see people dumped uh, in Southern Florida right now. That second sentence that you heard was completely unnecessary. Yeah, and, not only that, but a lot of these people are fucking foreigners. And I don't know, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that the audience, as they were listening to it, that that really stuck out to them. Yeah. But imagine the number of people who watched that 
and it was just like watching a regular conversation happen. Right, clearly. It didn't it even was, register as a problem. It's on Fox News with Ainsley Earhart, who, you know, what about the majority? And she certainly didn't have a reaction to this yeah, right. statement. Yeah. That wasn't a problem for her. Human lives. These are fucking human beings with human families who love them. There will be a ripple effect of sorrow and economic disaster when someone dies. You know, a lot of these fucking people are foreigners. We don't care about them. Yeah, I wish there was more responsibility on the part of interviewers to really interject and call out that stuff for what it is. But of course, that's Ainsley Earhart, and we're not gonna we're well, not gonna uh, have that happen. It's also Fox News. I mean, there was just an article, um, I think, in Slate. If you want to look it up. Where they fought, found emails from Laura Ingram's staff saying they got Betsy DeVos on and they had promised her that it would be an easy, quote unquote, easy interview for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is the kind of news outlet that Fox News is. So uh, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be uh, surprised by it. But he's not the only governor. The other governor who really might be more stupid than Ron DeSantis, and that is Brian Kemp from Georgia, the man who stole the election from Stacey Abrams a couple years ago. And this is Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta because Georgia, after Florida, Florida only a couple days ago decided to do something uh, akin to a shelter-in-place order, a a safer-at-home order. And Brian Kemp finally did but he's he's either the dumbest motherfucker to ever be a governor or just a liar. Um, I want to play something that the, uh, Georgia's governor, Brian Kemp, said about why he waited to issue a statewide stay-at-home order. Finding out that this virus is now transmitting before people see signs. So the what we've been telling people from directives from the CDC for weeks now that if you start feeling bad, stay home. Uh, those individuals could have been infecting people before they ever felt bad. Well, we didn't know that until the last 24 hours. And as Dr. Toomey uh, told me, she goes, this is a game changer for us. I- I'm, I- I- I'm really kind of stunned by what he said because we've known that for quite some time, haven't we? Anderson, this is, this is inexcusable. I mean, it's just inexcusable i mean that he can't uh, be honest I mean, he can't everyone be being has been talking there. about that my kids who go to school in 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 georgia knew that a month ago i mean i i, I can't even believe that i mean uh, look this is this is serious there was a paper written back in early february about this uh there was a uh, significant evidence uh, of this even earlier than that in china that scientists were paying attention to the scientific community i mean the cdc who he just referenced which is in georgia talked about this on a public call on February 4th. We've known this for a long time. To say that we just found out in the last 24 hours and that's why we're doing this, 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 is, this is just not right. I mean, you know, that, that's an excuse. I, I don't know, maybe he really didn't know that, which means someone didn't tell him, although I find that very hard to believe. I mean, everybody in the country, even I mean, it, it would have known this for I, I mean, well not over a month. There, it's, I mean, there's not such a thing as political malpractice. I, I don't know if it's criminal, but it, it, for him, he, I mean, of course, if the governor of the state has not briefed himself on everything about this virus, that is, uh, I mean, it's inexcusable. I, I still don't understand. There is no scientific rationale 
for the governors who have yet to actually declare stay-at-home orders for their state. I mean, I, I don't understand how any governor, I understand economic concerns and all that. Nevertheless, we're, we, if we are truly all in this together, which we are, it's important that everybody be under the same guidelines, no? I, absolutely, Anderson. Uh, it's it's essential. I mean, no uh, no state can be an island in the middle of all this. And and you know what? If they're not doing this by now, they're they're, they're affecting and risking my health. They're uh, affecting and risking your health. Uh, you know, people they don't even know in places far away. They're, they're, it's not just about any individual anymore. It's it's about everybody. I mean, you know, I, I feel like a broken record. You and I have said this so many times, but we are really uh, dependent on each other in a way that, you know, I've never experienced before. So the fact that this is not happening, it doesn't make sense medically or scientifically. I think everybody gets that by now. But Anderson, you know, you and I talked to Bill Gates. We've done tons of interviews about this. It doesn't make sense economically either because we're going to pay a big price right. in the in the in the longer run. I mean, you know, Georgia's announced it, Florida's announced it. It's still not in effect yet. I think it goes into effect, I think, tomorrow, tomorrow uh, night. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, and churches, I, by the I'm way, just, are uh, exempt. I'm really, which, really stunned by that. I mean, large gatherings, are, uh, churches are, are exempt. I mean, uh, you know, I understand the, the I mean, you I, know, I, I political reasons that for that and the religious reasons for that. But it, just the scientifically, uh, you know, science is what rules the day in a pandemic. And the science says don't gather in large groups. Oh, Anderson, you silly goose. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to pray the pandemic away. It's so tragic because these states are sacrificing their people. Yeah. And if they would have acted sooner, they could have taken similar actions as other states and really gotten out in front of this. And instead... They have decided to play a political game with the lives of their constituents. It was what he said was very apropos. Political malpractice. Mm -hmm. It's fucking awesome. And that's exactly it. I mean, one, Brian Kemp is a fucking goofball. He's a dumbass. But he's also a liar. He at he either if he didn't know, then he needs to be fucking recalled as governor. Something that school children knew. A month ago. Well, and that's one of the things that Jared Kushner was talking about today, right? That we're starting to see what it means to be a leader and what people should expect yeah. in their leaders. And it's someone who knows how to be a manager, right? Yeah. He, yeah. he was talking about all this as though Donald Trump falls into that category. But look at Brian Kemp as an example of this. Someone who's not keeping up with the information that's coming out. Someone who's not regularly updating their views and... Uh, making room for new information. Yeah. He's not, not doing rising data. And of course, it's not surprising, but it's it's tragic because so many lives are at risk now because of his actions and, and not, his refusal to do that. Yeah, and it's not at risk like oh, this could happen. People are going to die. 100 to 300,000 people are going to die. I just want to jump in there because, again, the estimate that they are talking about for the best case is 100 to 200,000. So now we're kind of upping it to 300. And I just I want to remind people of what their estimate that they're saying was. Now, of course, that can change. Right. That's just an estimate. It may change. But I just want to kind of go back to what what their yeah, estimate you're, you're was. Right, you're right. 
You're right. I'm basing what I'm saying on the fact that there are several southern states who have still not done the fucking right thing, and their cases are going to spike like crazy. Yeah, I mean, listen, in Orange County, we we followed L.A. County's lead, really. L.A. County did the stay-at-home. We were at late home. to the party, but yes. Yeah, L.A. County did the stay-at-home order before us, and there is a website out of University of Washington Medicine, and they are doing projections for each individual state as well as the United States as a whole based on when deaths will peak in the country and in yeah. these states, and also when there will be peak hospital resource use and in the state of california our peak daily death date doesn't happen until april 28th yeah and it's going to be 122 according to the projections right now 122 deaths in one day that is it's a rolling it's a rolling model that's going to be changing day to day but as of right now that's what it says but when you think about how we did the stay at home order three weeks ago two weeks ago yeah yeah and our peak death date isn't going to happen until the end of April. Imagine what fucking Florida is going to be when they've had all these idiots out at the beach every goddamn day. It's f- frightening. Yeah. And thankfully, I, I think that people are starting to take it seriously. Right. It's unfortunate that these leaders, right, leaders of states are lagging behind on this issue. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, All right, let's wrap it up. It's the asshole of today. The United States Navy. You really just wanted to say that, didn't you? That's why you jumped in there. I jumped the gun. Usually I'm the one who makes the proclamation, Listen, but this this is this is something you are I, relishing right now. Well, I'm not just no, I mean I'm jokingly relishing it, but I <laughs> but I also I think everybody out there who served and those in the Navy especially, especially those who are Navy veterans will agree that the United States Navy is the asshole of today for firing the captain of the USS Theodore Roosevelt for trying to protect the lives of thousands of sailors under his command. The captain of the USS Theodore Roosevelt is no longer at the helm of his ship. The Navy announced it is relieving Captain Brett Crozier of his command just days after a letter pleading for more supplies to fight a coronavirus outbreak on board. News 8's Brandon Lewis spoke with the mother of a sailor and explains what happens now. Brandon. Carlo and Barbara Lee, tonight some 3,000 sailors who serve on the USS Theodore Roosevelt are now off the ship awaiting for their test results to come back. More than 100 of them have confirmed tested positive for the virus. We spoke with the mother of one of those sailors who tells us she is praising the actions of the captain. That was a completely unnecessary thing to do in the midst of a crisis. Days after the commanding officer of the USS Theodore Roosevelt sent a letter pleading for help battling a coronavirus outbreak on board, the Navy relieves Captain Brett Crozier of his command. It raised alarm bells unnecessarily. It also created the impression that the Navy was not responding to his questions. And as I mentioned, my chief of staff was in contact with him a day before he even sent that email. The ship is currently in Guam, where the Navy says 114 sailors tested positive for the virus, all with mild to moderate symptoms. Among them is Chantilly's son. 
News 8 is not identifying him or using her last name because he is serving on a ship that is actively deployed. I can just kind of hear the fear in his voice. Um, today he spoke very low, so I know he was sneaking on the phone. Chantilly says her son is asymptomatic, but medical staff say he can spread the virus. So he, like others, are isolated at an on-base hotel. She says she's happy he's getting the care he needs and that the captain spoke out. This child is my fifth pregnancy. I lost four babies before him. I don't want to lose my son. If, you know, he's ever in town. He always has a warm home-cooked meal here. But the Navy says her reaction is one they wanted to spare families and why they ultimately decided to relieve Crozier of his command, adding he never told them in multiple conversations, including one the day the letter was sent, that he needed more supplies. To me, that's a, that's a, phone, that's a phone call to Admiral Aquilino. It's a walk down the hallway to your commanding officer. It's not a blast out email to anybody who he knows. Tonight, there are still about 1,000 sailors on board the USS Theodore Roosevelt. They will remain there for the duration, helping to run essential functions of the nuclear warship. Fuck them for firing this man. One, when you're the captain of an aircraft carrier... You're not an irresponsible person. You're not someone who's taken by flights of fancy. You have billions of dollars under your command. In human worth and also mechanic worth. They don't put irresponsible individuals in command of fucking aircraft carriers. 3,000 people aboard his ship. 114 that we know of have tested positive. The state of Idaho has fewer than a thousand cases, and there's about a, almost 2 million people in the state. Only 3,000 people on the ship, and 114 of them are positive. That, that is. Those numbers per capita are astonishing. And it's because, I don't know if you've ever been aboard a ship, there is no social distancing when you're below deck. It's asshole to belly button. You are fucking right up on each other all the time. There is no space. There is no room. It's a floating city. Well, in that excuse for this action, uh, quote, that he, that he, quote, allowed the complexity of the challenge of the COVID breakout on the ship to overwhelm his ability to act professionally. Yeah. I imagine that that's just uh, offensive to him. Yes. Because... And to me, and I think every veteran, those who worked within the Department of the Navy. Yeah, I mean, knowing that he was likely leading from a place of concern for his crew. Yeah. And trying to get someone to take action on yeah, this matter. Exactly. And they're blaming essentially hysteria. Yeah. <laughs> that, right. he, that he became hysterical because of the COVID-19 break, breakout. The captain of an aircraft carrier was just taken by, oh, I just don't know what to do, y'all. Get the fuck out of here. This was someone who knew, well, if, if it was him who leaked it, we'll just work from that premise. It was because he was not getting help. 
He was not getting the assistance he needed. And you know what? He's getting it now. Those crew people are getting it now. So fuck the United States Navy in this case because, one, I believe they're acting politically to appease Donald Trump. And uh, they're doing the wrong thing. This man should get his command back. Absolutely. Well, and I don't know if you want to loop the entire Navy on this. You may want to just specifically name acting Navy Secretary Thomas Modley because he says that this decision rests with him. All right. Well, yeah. So Secretary of the Navy. Yeah. Uh, he's a dumb jerk off. Fuck him. He, Asshole of today. He insisted that de- the decision was his alone. So I, I doubt that. I, it was probably between him and Mark Esper, the 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 defense secretary, who's a, a Trump lackey dipshit. Well, but not great. Yeah, not great. Yeah. Anyway, we're gonna leave it there. We'd love to know what you think. I haven't dropped the phone number one time this episode. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can always email those voice memos from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. We did not do a Patreon mid-roll, and we have several new patrons, and we're gonna have to get to that next episode. In the meantime, we would love, love, love to hear from you. Please call in. How are you doing? Give us updates. We want to hear from you. And please take care of yourselves. Yes. Be patient with yourself. Do not feel like you need to be productive right now. Being productive means getting rest, taking care of your physical and mental health. Yeah, yeah. And eating delicious treats like macaroni and cheese Uh, and cottage cheese as well. Uh, All the cheeses. Yeah. All right, everybody. We love you guys, and we'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.